Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Reamy. This week, we talk with Dr. Francis Moore, Assistant Professor in the Department of Environmental Science and Policy at UC Davis. I'll talk with Fran about a recent paper she published with colleagues on the economic impacts of climate change on agriculture. We'll talk about what the study found, what it means for estimating the social cost of carbon, and more. Stay with us. Okay, Dr. Fran Moore from UC Davis, thank you so much for joining us today on Resources Radio. Thanks for having me. So, Fran, one thing that we like to ask all of our guests is how they became interested in energy and environmental topics in the first place, and uh, you, for you, uh, climate change in particular. So can you tell us a little bit about that background? Yeah, so I've I've really been interested in climate change my whole career. I've found it a really kind of interesting, motivating issue to understand very broadly our planet and kind of the human society uh, that that lives on lives on Earth. Um, and so I began in my undergrad uh, working on um, I studied geology and the earth sciences, and in particular paleoclimatology, so kind of the the deep history of of Earth's climate. Um, and then I moved to Washington, D.C. right after graduation and kind of uh, leveraged that knowledge into uh, kind of studying modern climate change um, and climate change policy. And since then, I've kind of used the issue of climate change to move between a really kind of broad range of fields, uh, you know, coming from the earth sciences, um, looking into some aspects of political science uh, and anthropology in my uh, during my master's degree and then moving more into economics uh, as part of, uh, through my doctorate. But it's kind of all been motivated by this kind of climate change question, which is really so broad and kind of touches on um, so many of these disciplines that I kind of find the the integration of, of all those disciplines and kind of ways of understanding the world um, through climate change. I find that to be really fascinating. Yeah, that's fantastic that you can bring kind of all those perspectives together in your work. And, you know, your work touches on so many aspects of, of climate. And um, the, the one we'll be focused on today is uh, is agriculture, which I'll ask you about in just a couple minutes. But one of the important uh, parts of the study that we're going to be talking about is agriculture and how it affects something called the social cost of carbon. So many of our listeners are probably familiar with the social cost of carbon or the SCC. So we don't want to spend too much time on it. But just for the for those of us who may not be so familiar with the social cost of carbon, can you just kind of tell us what what is the SCC and how is it used? The way I approach it is very much as kind of an accounting exercise. So if we put, say, one ton of CO2 into the atmosphere, the SEC is a number that counts up all the impacts of that ton of CO2 around the world in every different sector kind of throughout time. And that's where the, the challenge really is. But it's at heart, it's a really kind of simple idea is that we want to know what you know these these greenhouse gases that we're putting up into the atmosphere are doing and the reason it's kind of challenging to come up with a defensible number is that these impacts are widespread they're disparate in terms of the type of effects they're having uh, on on human society um, and they kind of persist kind of far into the future um, and so a lot of the the technical challenges around calculating the SEC uh, are to do with that and then the the other challenge is that 
that in order to add up and aggregate these impacts, we need to put them into common units of measurement. And, right. you know, and this is where this kind of there's a valuation step involved because the units of measurement that we conventionally use are discounted dollars, right? So it's kind of the, the present value of dollars in the future. And so the process of kind of understanding the social cost of carbon, either the total social cost of carbon or in a particular sector is really un in understanding what are the effects around the world and then turning those maybe physical units in which impacts are often measured in, say, the climate impacts literature into economic units. So kind of attaching a dollar value to them. Right. So yeah, so there are all these multiple steps involved mm -hmm. in actually getting to that final number, uh, the social cost of carbon. And, you know, it's a number that uh, evolves over time as our understanding of both the physical sciences and the uh, sociological impacts of climate change evolve. And, um, you know, your work is a great demonstration of that. Um, so, so last question before I ask you about the agriculture work is why does it matter to have a good social cost of carbon? So if the, um, if the actual social cost of carbon uh, is $100 per ton, but say we are estimating it at $25 per ton or, or you know, any, any number you want to choose, why would that matter for policymaking and for society? So I think that there's kind of two main reasons that we want to have a, have a kind of accurate understanding of the social cost of carbon. So one is this this link between the these marginal damages from CO2 emissions and the optimal price for carbon. Um, and so in the kind of econ 101 world, we would ideally be in a place where the world was pricing carbon at a value equal to the social cost of carbon, either through a carbon tax or a cap and trade system. Um, you know, we don't live in that world, but the social cost of carbon is still useful in policy analysis through for things like, uh, say, a cost-benefit analysis, um, which is how the federal government uh, in the United States was using it, or and still is using it, uh, in its regulatory analysis. So if you have a wrong social cost of carbon, particularly if you say your social cost of carbon is too low, then certain policies and regulations are not going to be passing a cost-benefit analysis when perhaps really they should. So that's one reason I think is kind of well understood why it's important to have a good number. The other reason I would say is to do with this accounting uh, exercise that, that's involved in creating the social cost of carbon. So if we don't have a good social cost of carbon, what that means is that we don't have an accurate understanding of what climate change impacts really are. Um, right. And the process of kind of coming up with a well-founded uh, kind of empirically justified damages that go into the social cost of carbon is really a process that's going to tell you a lot about where is climate change happening? What are the sectors and the locations that are most impacted that we should most care about and kind of force you to do this in a very systematic way that kind of doesn't necessarily emerge naturally from just kind of the general research into climate change impacts. And actually for me, kind of doing this work on the agriculture sector, that was kind of something that I wasn't expecting, but was some of the more interesting aspects of, of that work. Yeah, it's sort of like going through a cost benefit analysis in itself, you know, mm -hmm. regardless of the outcome that you come up with, going through the exercise can be really beneficial in understanding actually kind of what your priorities are and what the impacts are in different ways. And the social cost of carbon definitely helps us compartmentalize and, and quantify uh, those different impacts. 
So one of the big areas that, that many people have been interested when it comes to the impacts of climate change and, and the main topic that we'll be talking about today uh, is how climate change is likely to impact the agricultural sector, uh, both in the United States, but more importantly, globally, because the global agricultural system is, of course, interconnected. So before we get into the specifics of, of the, this paper, um, can you just give us a general outline of uh, what are some of the key pathways through which climate change is likely to affect agriculture and what crops are we kind of most interested in? Yes, yeah, so I would say there's two main pathways that we understand moderately well, or at least well enough to start to incorporate into SEC estimates. Uh, and those are the effects of temperature on crop yields and the effects of CO2 fertilization. Um, and so it's been understood for a, you know for a long time that having carbon dioxide in the atmosphere directly benefits plants uh, because they're able to kind of take up more CO2 uh, and therefore kind of photosynthesize at a high rate, kind of producing higher yields. Um, so right. kind of all else equal, higher CO2 is kind of generally beneficial to plants. And this is something that was captured kind of even in the kind of the first generation of integrated assessment models, uh, kind of capturing social costs of carbon. It's been kind of known for a long time. What I, um, I think more recent science has pointed to the fairly large offsetting effects of uh, higher temperatures and that um, as we have more and more work on understanding how higher temperatures affect crop yields, it appears that in most growing areas, higher temperatures generally have negative effects uh, on crop yields. The set of crops that we're most interested in, or at least that the research community has been most focused on, are the large field crops. So things like wheat, rice and maize, soybeans to a slightly lesser extent. Um, so these are kind of the ma major commodity crops that are kind of widely grown, traded around the world and constitute a large part of people's diets as well as kind of feed in the livestock sector. Um, you know, other crops economically are, you know, local cash crops and so on are also potentially really important for understanding regional impacts. But at the moment, we kind of just don't really have enough studies to pin down the impact for those crops. Right. So the effects on things like strawberries or raspberries mm -hmm. might be different from wheat, uh, and the economic implications might be pretty different, but we may not have the information to tackle every single one of those crops. Yes, or at least not yet. Right, not yet. All right, so so let's get into the, the paper that you published with uh, a number of colleagues in Nature Communications a number of months ago. The name of the paper is uh, New Science of Climate Change Impacts on Agriculture Implies Higher Social Cost of Carbon. So you can see there that we're, we're touching on agriculture, we're touching on climate, we're touching on social cost of carbon, and we'll um, try to address each of those uh, points uh, in the next um, a few minutes as we talk. So can you give us a broad overview about what this paper tells us about the direction and the magnitude of the potential future impacts of climate change uh, on the agricultural sectors that you looked at? And just for listeners, the, the paper focuses on the four crops that, that Fran mentioned a moment ago, maize, rice, wheat, and soy. And it looks uh, across the world at how these crops might be affected and then how the economic impacts flow from those uh, impacts to the crops themselves. Yes. So in this paper, we go through through two steps. So, so we kind of calculate climate change impacts in two ways. And so, you know, the first way is this kind of physical measure of how do yields change with climate change. And this is what kind of the agronomic 
community that, that works on understanding climate change impacts have largely been focused on as kind of their dependent variable. So they're, they're interested in kind of using crop models or empirical uh, models of yield to understand how does temperature affect kind of basically this measure of land, land productivity. Um, and for that, we find fairly widespread negative effects uh, with just kind of some small positive effects uh, on yields uh, in places in very cold countries, so places like Canada, um, Scandinavia, parts of uh, Argentina. And that's including the positive effects of CO2 fertilization as well as the negative effects of higher temperatures. If you only look at the effects of temperature change, uh, what you find is kind of that's, that's negative almost uh, kind of across the board, um, with some exception for kind of rice uh, at colder temperatures, where rice is kind of a, a more heat tolerant crop. Um, and this if this is coming out of a, a meta-analysis of over a thousand uh, estimates of how uh, higher temperatures and CO2 uh, kind of are affecting yields. And so the, the meta-analysis that you're pulling from, um, these are the studies that went into the most recent IPCC report, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's right. What we wanted to do was be able to tie uh, the social cost of carbon in agriculture that, that we were estimating more directly to the kind of consensus document on climate change impacts, which is represented by the IPCC you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits in doing that. In that the IPCC does do a lot of work to kind of aggregate the current knowledge and evaluate it, um, and that you know it forms then a very natural basis, at least to the extent possible, for kind of supporting damage functions in these integrated assessment models that calculate the social cost of carbon. Um, so for us, that was kind of really a plus being right. being able to say, you know, this is coming from a document that that governments have approved, that's been kind of reviewed extensively by um, the scientific community, um, and therefore that you know we can tie our estimates of the social cost of carbon to the findings in that document. Right. And so once we have those um, those estimates of the effects on crops incorporating both temperature and CO2 changes, mm -hmm. that's kind of step one. Yeah. So step two is really taking those productivity changes uh, and doing this valuation step. So, so putting them uh, instead in terms of dollar values. And if you're only looking locally uh, and you think that climate change as a whole is not going to have a big effect and kind of net effect on prices, then maybe you could just take the yield changes that you estimate and multiply them by the kind of current price of the crops. But because we're finding this very kind of widespread kind of net negative uh, effects on crops, you really need to start moving to more of a kind of general uh, equilibrium setting that's going to allow kind of prices to change, uh, in some cases, what we find quite substantially, and therefore the kind of the uh, economy to adjust and respond to that. And so it, in order to do that, we use a CGE model, a, a, a computable general equilibrium model, uh, the GTAP model kind of developed by, by Tom Hurtle at Purdue, who's a co-author on the paper, along with Euros Baldos. Um, and so, so this is a model that was it has a very rich representation of the agricultural sector as well as the the trading agricultural trading relationships between countries. Um, and so uh, we we run it with kind of a 140 different countries, and we can look at you know given these productivity changes, how does kind of trade adjust between regions, uh, and how do price how do equilibrium prices change, and therefore kind of what's the resulting changes in welfare. And it's, it's these changes in welfare 
that we're really interested in, in terms of understanding um, the impacts of climate change. And what's interesting is that, um, you know, the terms of trade effects, so the fact that prices are going up and that's benefiting exporters, in certain countries that kind of outweighs the negative effects of, of yield changes. So we do find several countries where they're having small small declines in yields, uh, but because prices are going up going up a lot, they're, they're kind of net welfare effective positive. And so these are places like Australia, actually like the United States, certain parts of uh, South America as well. Yeah, and there's a wonderful figure in the paper that illustrates this figure mm -hmm. two, um, where sort of these different effects are visualized uh, across the globe using kind of brownish and greenish colors. And it's fascinating to see the direct effect uh, of climate change on agricultural productivity in a place like, you know, Brazil is negative. Uh, but then when you incorporate those terms of trade effects, uh, things, uh, well, the terms of trade mm -hmm. effect are positive for, for Brazil. And then you have to kind of try to combine those things to figure out overall when you incorporate all of this stuff, does the country come out ahead or behind uh, with these higher temperatures? And, and yeah, I think climate. it really illustrates the kind of importance of, of bringing in the economics, right? That, you know, a lot of climate change impact analysis kind of stops at these biophysical changes, you know, and kind of leaves it at that. But, right. you know, we are kind of showing here that, no, like these economic adjustments are really important in kind of distributing um, the, the gains and losses um, from those productivity changes. And particularly at a regional level, uh, you know, if you're interested in the welfare changes at anything less than a global level, you kind of need to be considering that. And so where globally do we see some of the biggest impacts, either from a negative or a positive perspective? Are, are there big differences between, say, um, you know, major crop exporters and major crop importers uh, or major regional trends that emerge from this type of analysis? Yeah, we see any benefits kind of on net are really going to the major exporters. So places like Canada um, do well, and then also places like, like Australia, that's kind of a big exporter. The places that are really hurt um, are the places where they get this double whammy of their own productivity in the agricultural sector is declining because of climate change, uh, and they're already importing a lot of crops and the prices are going up. And those two things kind of are both these net negative effects, uh, and it's those places that, that do kind of poorly. So um, that's a lot of kind of places in the Middle East uh, and North Africa, as well as uh, Mexico uh, kind of doesn't do so well in, well in our analysis. Yeah, some other big, just looking at the map here, some other countries that seem to not do so well are, uh, you know, some Eurasian countries and, uh, and India, mm -hmm. as well yeah. as Pakistan, uh, both, both see pretty substantial losses. All right, so uh, so we've sort of talked about two steps of the paper mm -hmm. so far, uh, the kind of biophysical uh, analysis, the economic analysis, and then a third step that your paper makes, which is um, you know super valuable and why we're talking about the social cost of carbon, is it it then translates those economic impacts uh, into a change in the social cost of carbon. So can you talk a little bit about that uh, next step and sort of how it gets done and and what are the things that you found in terms of the impact of climate change on agriculture and how that flows through to the SEC? 
Yeah, that's right. So with these results from GTAP that gives us kind of the, the welfare changes at different levels of warming, uh, we're able to take those and this is now an agricultural damage function. Uh, and that's something that can kind of then go into these integrated assessment models that estimate the social cost of carbon. Uh, and so this was this was work uh, largely done by Delavine Diaz, um, who's, who's another co-author on the paper. Um, and that, so there's really three main models that that are widely used to estimate the social cost of carbon. And we focus on one of them because it's the only one that explicitly represents the agricultural sector. Um, and so all we do is we kind of um, take the agricultural sector uh, in this model fund uh, and we take it out and we put in our new agricultural damages that have come out of this process um, and we re-estimate the social cost of carbon. And um, we, we kind of find a, a really substantial increase relative to what kind of fund uh, the previous agricultural sector damages and fund. We think it's largely to do with more negative effects of, of higher temperatures. Um, so, so fund kind of breaks down the effects of CO2 fertilization and the effects of temperature. And most sectors had fairly positive effects of higher temperatures, particularly at lower levels of warming, which we kind of in our analysis don't find large support for. And so we think kind of that main change um, really uh, increases the total social cost of carbon that comes out of fund. And so for listeners who aren't familiar with these integrated assessment models, um, you know, you can find information about them if you just, uh, you know, do, do some internet searching for integrated assessment models. And, and the one that we're talking about in, in particular here is the fund model, which I think I want to say framework for uncertainty, negotiation and decision making, uh, which was originally developed by an economist named Richard Toll. So, um, so in fund, we have these existing estimates in fund of the damages from climate change in the agriculture sector. Looking at the paper, it says in the abstract that fund had previously estimated that climate change would result in net benefits to the agricultural sector that translated into benefits of, of about $2.70 per ton of CO2. Um, whereas uh, using your methods with these uh, updated papers, the economic modeling, you're finding that climate change would lead to net costs uh, of $8.50 per ton uh, in the agricultural sector alone. So that's a total change in sign and a big change in magnitude as well. And it turns out in fund that the these kind of benefits in agriculture are fairly important in driving kind of the total social cost of carbon estimate. So even though we're only changing one sector, that is an important sector in fund. Um, and so it does have a very large effect on kind of the total social cost of carbon as well. Great. So um, there, there's so much work on the social cost of carbon uh, that's going on at, at RFF uh, in the Climate Impact Lab, uh, the work you're doing, Fran, and, and many other places. Um, and one thing that certainly emerges when you dig into these bodies of research is that we are getting better at quantifying all sorts of things, but there are still lots of big uncertainties that are out there. So when we think about this paper and the effects of climate change on agriculture, what are some of the major uncertainties that stick out? Yeah, to you? so I would probably divide these into kind of those we, we are able to estimate and deal with in the paper and those we kind of know, those kind of known unknowns uh, that we, we kind of know we're not able to capture. So so in terms of the uncertainties right. we, we can look at in the paper, we look at two. Uh, and one set of uncertainties is to do with these, for a given level of temperature change, what is the effects on yield? Or for a given change in CO2, what are the effects on yield? 
these are large uncertainties, but we're able to constrain them fairly well um, because through this meta-analysis process. Uh, and we kind of can then propagate those uncertainties through uh, to the final social cost of carbon. And those those, those are pretty large error bounds. Um, and so they are kind of these, these biophysical uncertainties about how exactly does uh, climate change affect crop yields kind of definitely are important in the overall estimate of damages. The other element of incentives we look at in the paper is to do with um, the parameters in GTAP and particularly how quickly trading relationships can adjust and those we find that uncertainty uh, is much smaller compared to this kind of agronomic or biophysical uncertainty of the effects on crop yields. There are then these uncertainties that we, we know exist, but we're not able to really deal with in the paper. And I would say one main one is the fact that uh, when we think about the social cost of carbon, we're thinking about the effects of CO2 kind of far into the future. Um, and with a CGE model yeah. like GTAP, we fix the economy essentially at its kind of 2009 values. And so right. if the welfare effects of changing productivity in the future look really different because, say, people are a lot richer, their diets are very different, then that is something that, that we're not capturing here. And we know that that might affect our estimates, but it's very difficult to incorporate that into a modeling framework like GTAP. That makes sense. And then one last question on uncertainties is, um, uh, how do you account for mm -hmm. adaptation in this paper? That's one thing that always comes up uh, with regard to agriculture and some other damage sectors on-, um, on Yeah, you're right, this, this does always come up. <laughs> uh, and so because of that, we 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 thought about it a lot. Um, and there's, there's kind of two ways of thinking uh, about how adaptation is included in these estimates. So. On the yield side, so this is now thinking about farmers who are growing a particular crop and they are facing climate change and they decide to make management changes that will kind of mitigate the negative effects of that climate change or kind of take advantage of any benefits uh, to a greater extent. And so these are adaptations like um, changing the variety of crop that you grow, changing your planting date, changing the inputs you use, things like that. And the meta-analysis that we do based on this, this database compiled by the lead authors in the IPCC includes information on did the study include any adaptation measures and, you know, if so, kind of what adaptation measures did it include? And so we're able then to, as part of our meta-analysis, to estimate kind of across these studies, you know, if they're estimating the effects with adaptation versus without what does that do to the estimates, you know? And so we're kind of able to statistically incorporate this kind of agronomic adaptation into our estimates. We don't find great evidence that it's very effective in reducing the negative effects of temperature. What seems to be going on is that these things that the crop models are incorporating um, are kind of beneficial today anyway. Um, and so they, yes, they help you in the future, but they also help you today. And so those are not kind of true adaptations in, in the way we would we would normally think about them. Um, and that the actual kind of right. additional benefit of these, these things uh, in the face of higher temperatures is relatively small. Um, and so with the, that agronomic adaptation is then included in our yield estimates. 
The other set of adaptations yeah. are these kind of economic adaptations. So if we think, well, you know, we, we're not able to say grow maize as productively, you know, and so maybe we're able to kind of shift to other substitutes or to shift our imports from to another growing region, things like that. These all these kind of economic margins of adaptation. Um, those are pretty well captured in the GTAP analysis. And so that's kind of the benefits of using uh, this kind of model for that aspect is that it's really designed to capture all those different uh, economic margins of adjustment. Yeah, and that's that's really one of the fantastic things about this paper is that it, it's able to take in those global trade effects, as we've talked mm -hmm. about, and, and uh, many papers aren't able to make that step. Um, well, there's so many questions that I want to ask you about this paper, but uh, but we're running short of time. So we're going to uh, close out uh, with just a couple final questions. So, you know, you've done a lot of work here on agriculture. I know you're interested in lots of other topics related to climate change. Uh, what are you working on now? What are you most interested in? What's what's coming next? So um, one piece of work that I'm I'm really excited about right now that's different, although kind of related topic, but it's um, trying to understand how people adjust their ideas of normal weather as they're kind of repeatedly exposed to change conditions. Um, and so I just like this because it's been a really kind of fun and creative project to do with a bunch of great collaborators. And so the idea is we're, we're measuring how surprising people find the weather based on how much they comment about it on Twitter. And then we can use the lagged histories of, of temperature anomalies in particular places, in particular times of the year, to see how quickly people's idea of surprising weather adjusts when they when they're kind of repeatedly get unusual weather, right? And this is, this is what climate change is, right? It's kind of, you get exposed to some unusual yeah. weather, that weather kind of, you know, quickly becomes like you get that more and more frequently, you know, this is your climate changing. And how do people kind of internalize that in terms of what they expect the weather to be uh, at a given point in time? And so we find we find a kind of evidence that people's idea of normal weather seems to adjust very quickly, just in the space of about five years or so. And what that that has these problematic implications in terms of whether or not people are going to really notice temperature anomalies going forward. And is this really going to provide direct sensory evidence of climate change? Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, so uh, so last question, which is the same question that we ask all of our guests. It's um, our top of the stack question. So have you been reading things, watching things, hearing things, either you know in the academic sphere, in the policy sphere, or elsewhere um, that you find particularly interesting that you think our listeners might not have heard about and, and that you would recommend to them? Yeah, I have uh, recently read uh, several books that are in this emerging genre of cli-fi or kind of climate change fiction. Yes. Um, and I, I think it's just a really interesting way of engaging with this idea of, you know, what will climate change actually feel like, um, and using literature to project ourselves forward in time to a place where these, um, these impacts are, are happening and just trying to play out what would it actually feel like to live in, you know, this world. And so there's there's kind of three books that I've I've read recently. So one is The End We Start From uh, by Megan Hunter. Uh, one was American War by Omar El Akkad, and one was The Odds Against Tomorrow by Nathaniel Rich. And they're all very they're very different books, but it's I really in, enjoy you know kind of being able to think about 
the things I think about every day, uh, you know, through my research, but in this very kind of scientific and dispassionate way, but just trying to to bring some kind of imagination and empathy to understanding, you know, what are we really talking about here? And it, it you know, the, the books are certainly depressing, um, but I would say also enlightening. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fantastic recommendation. So I, I read American War uh, maybe a year ago or so, and it it was it was really incredible. Um, I haven't uh, read those other two you mentioned, but I'll, I'll make sure to look them up. And a friend actually gave me a book uh, just the other day called New York Twenty One Forty, which is about New York City, uh, you know, in one hundred and twenty years, uh, which I've got sitting on my bedside table ready to go. Yeah, and I, I think it's great because you know the authors are very clearly they have thought a lot about what the, you know, climate change impact literature is saying, you know, so I read these and I recognize, you know, things we talk about uh, as people kind of worried about climate change impacts, but I see them in this way that's kind of reimagined uh, and it's, it kind of brings in, bring the new kind of sense of urgency and interest to, to my, my research. Yeah. Well, those are fantastic recommendations, and uh, it's fantastic work you're doing on agriculture and so many other things, and we really appreciate you joining us uh, today to talk about them on Resources Radio. Thanks very much for having me. Fran Moore, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Resources Radio. We'd love to hear what you think, so please rate us on iTunes or leave us a review. It helps us spread the word. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about us at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants. They do not necessarily represent the views of Resources for the Future, which does not take institutional positions on public policies. Resources Radio is produced by Kate Peterson, with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.